0: The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Please turn with me to Luke 24. Our text for today is verses 13 through 35. Read along with me. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a, mighty, who was a prophet mighty in and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up and condemned him to death. And crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels. Who said that he was alive. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it. And gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road, how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Our text begins the afternoon of the first Easter with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and there in the depths of confusion and despair and surely grief, they don't know that Jesus rose from the dead. They don't know that yet. Um, In fact, although they, they know the scriptures, Jesus says to them that the reason they're in this state of confusion is that they are slow of heart to believe. He says that down in verse 25. And and then, so if you, if you think of it as, okay, in this account, these two disciples on the road to Emmaus start as believers, disciples, who are slow of heart to believe. And by the end of it, uh, they say to one another, did not his word burn in our hearts? So that they shift from slow of heart to believe people to People who, by the power of the word of God and the teaching of Jesus, their hearts are aflame. Aflame with the hope of the gospel and Easter hope. And I, if you, I I would tell you, even if you don't ask me, I was going to say, if you ask me what my aim is in this message, which I always tell you anyway, so you don't need to ask me. My aim is that Jesus would do to us what he does to them. Namely, that he might transform our slow-to-believe hearts into hearts aflame with the hope of the gospel by the power of the word and the Holy Spirit. So join me, and let's pray that God would do such a thing. Father in heaven, we pray now for the presence and power of your spirit, we pray that that you would enliven the scriptures to us in this account of Jesus' interaction with these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Open up your word to us that our hearts would burn with faith in you, faith in Christ, and love for you, and love for Christ, and hope in Christ. So change our hearts, we pray, this morning, for the glory of your name and for our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So now early on Easter morning, we read this earlier in the service, that while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene and the other women went to the tomb, and when they got there they saw that the that the stone that was used to cover the entrance was rolled away, and to their surprise and, and causing some fear, they saw two men in dazzling apparel, angels. Uh, verse 5 of Luke 24 records what they said. They said to Mary and the women, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And so, Upon hearing this, Mary ran to tell Simon Peter and John and the other disciples, and according to the Gospel of John, she says this to to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. That's John 20, verse 2. And now, most of the disciples, according to verse 11 of, of our text in Luke 24, to hear the word from the women that his body's not there, and they think the disciples think this quote: "It's an idle tale," and they did not believe them. So the disciples aren't even believing what the women say, and, and yet Peter, there's there's a lot of running in this passage. You know, you have Mary running to Peter, now we have Peter and John running to the to the tomb. Luke twenty four twelve, uh, uh, Peter along with John rose and ran to the tomb stooping and looking in and he saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened but still you can tell I'm going back and forth from Luke's account and John's account still John tells us in his account yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead and then John tells us in John 20:10, then the disciples went back to their homes. And that's exactly where our text begins. These two disciples are heading home from Jerusalem. You know, the Passover was just the, the preceding week and and Jerusalem filled up with with travelers and guests for the Passover and then the, the pass the day of the Passover started Thursday night and ended Friday night the the day that jesus was crucified on the passover and the events there caused quite a stir and now people are leaving jerusalem and the disciples are among them leaving jesus is dead they're going home who are these two disciples Uh, verse 18 tells us that one was named Cleopas and the other's not named. So Luke doesn't give us a whole lot. And you know what? The whole Bible doesn't say anything more about Cleopas. And so we could run a rabbit trail and do conjecture. I'm not going to do that. It's just not worth the time, although there's some interesting things to say about that. Um, So you might just think, why then does Luke give us these names if he doesn't tell us anything about them. Well, Luke is not only the great physician, but he's also the great historian. And what he's doing in these names and places is, is like, a, it's like a historical research paper. You know, same today, same reporters do this, historians do this. When they, when they write something as historical record, they tell you where they got it from. You know? So Luke, what Luke is doing here is, you want to check the, the truth of this story? Go talk to Cleopas. Just talk to Cleopas you know, at his time. You want to check it out? Check it out. Go ahead. So th- this chapter is full of names uh, orbiting around the resurrection of Christ and then the, Luke's gospel is full of names and places. And all four Gospels are full of names and places. And just when you hit those, just say to yourself, oh, he's showing me where he got this. He's, he's telling people of his day. You want to check it out? Check it out. Go ask him. Go ask Mary. Go ask Mary and all those women who were Go talk to them. They'll tell you what they saw. So now Cleopas and the other disciple are on this seven-mile journey to Emmaus, And they are engaged in intense conversation with one another. Think about it. They have been through three horrible days. Jesus, their beloved teacher, was arrested and publicly mocked and stripped and scourged and humiliated and crucified as if he were the worst of the worst criminals in Jerusalem. And... Having been through that together, they cannot but help talk about the things that had happened. They believed in him. They believed in him. And as they talked, I love this, verse 15. Jesus, I'll read it. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So Jesus just comes walking up alongside of them. You know, I envision crowded road. These two are engaged in this conversation, not paying attention to anybody. And Jesus comes and he's walking side by side with them. Um, And uh, the text says, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. I thought about that. How many times when you or me are in this state of, like this, confusion or grief or anxiety, and we think, Jesus, where are you? And you know, (laughs) he's right there. (laughs) He's walking side by side. And it just, we... Our eyes were kept from seeing him. And yet, before long, we realized he was with us all the time. All the time. So they don't know it's Jesus walking with them. And Jesus interrupts their conversation. Verse 17. What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And, And they just stop in their tracks like says, looking sad. (laughs) like, Who is this guy? (sighs) Cleopas answers, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus says, what things? And they answered, verse 19, things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, A man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. These these things about Jesus. He he spoke like no other teacher with the authority and power of God. He spoke the truth of God. He spoke spoke the love of God to us. He, He spoke forgiveness, the forgiveness of God upon us. And he... Did all these miracles. He gave sight to the blind and he even raised the dead. And just last weekend, thousands of people filled the streets acknowledging him along with us as the Christ, the Messiah. Shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Where have you been? And then they told him, verse 20, how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and be crucified. Now, when Jesus died, they not only lost their friend and their teacher, one whom they loved, they lost their hope That Jesus was the Messiah. They lost their hope of salvation in Him. And and just the thought, just the thought that He was crucified was utterly abhorrent. Let me explain. Crucifixion in the Roman Empire was often used for subjugating slaves, keeping them in their place, and for deterring uprisings and rebellions that might bubble up and threaten the dominance of the Roman Empire. And and so, one of its main purposes was terror and humiliation. As such, Crucifixion was always done in public because then that's how terrorism works. That's how it has its effect on the widest number of people. There's a book by Tom Holland entitled Dominion, How the Christian Revolution Remade the World. It's a very interesting book because he is not a believer. In an interview he says, I wish I could be a believer. He just does this book documenting the impact of Christianity on the whole world. But early in the book, he shares some of his research on Roman crucifixion of its horrors. Just let me tell you about it. Quoting from the book now, Holland writes, No death was more excruciating, more contemptible than crucifixion. To be hung naked, long in agony, swelling with ugly wheels on shoulders and chest, helpless to beat away the clamorous birds. Such a fate, Roman intellectuals agreed, was the worst imaginable. That the Christ, that Jesus was the Christ, was crucified, was unthinkable. The Apostle Paul calls that Christ crucified the stumbling block for Jews. This is the hard thing for Jewish people to get over. And Holland it says for Romans as well, but not as hard as for Jews. The Christ was to come and reign in triumph, not be publicly disgraced. The Christ was to come and save our nation, Israel, and free us from all occupations, even the Roman occupation, that Christ was not to be killed by the Romans. It's all unraveling. Of this, Holland explains that a man who had himself been crucified might be hailed as a god could not help but be seen by people everywhere across the Roman world as scandalous Obscene and grotesque. The ultimate offensiveness, though, was to one particular people, Jesus' own, the Jews. And he goes on that their God, a God of all gods, might have a son, and that this son, suffering the fate of a slave, might have been tortured to death on a cross were claims as stupefying as they were to most Jews repellent. No more shocking a reversal of their most devoutly held assumptions could possibly have been imagined. Not mere blasphemy, but madness. That's where the disciples on the road to Emmaus are Christ crucified it's all seemingly coming unraveled and their hopes are dashed and they tell Jesus verse 21 we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel and besides all of this it is now the third day since these things happened they thought he was the one who would save their nation, Israel. They had no clue that the, the main thing they needed salvation from was their sins. It alienated them with God and condemned them before him. They thought the big problem was the Romans. They didn't see yet And then now they know it's the third day. You know, they remember. Jesus said something about this third day, third day he will rise. The way, you know, the dating in in, um, the Jewish calendar at at the time is the third day began Saturday night at sundown and the third day ends at sundown on Sunday. So like, you know, we only got a couple more hours and this third day is over. And we're not seeing anything. We're going home. We're packing up and we're going home. And and to these two disciples, all might have seemed lost, but there was this glimmer of hope. They mention in verse 22 about the morning. What they had heard about the morning. Verse 22. Some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had, they, had even, they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but him they did not see. The tomb is empty. They know that. So they're in this fog trying to piece together Jesus Christ, crucified, killed, tomb empty, third day, reports of the empty tomb. And Jesus speaks. First he begins with a rebuke, and it's not mean. Verse 25, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Foolish ones. Remember the song, the the fool says in his heart there is no God. He's saying to these two disciples, you're acting as though there is no God and they are slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have have spoken. It's a faith issue. And Jesus begins in verse 26, teaching them. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? It was. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And you just think, where did Jesus go? This is a seven-mile walk. It's a two-and-a-half-hour trip. You know, if you walk three miles an hour. Um, where does Jesus go? It from Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament, through the prophets, Jesus got the whole thing to pick from and he's, he's going to teach them about how the Old Testament teaches about who he is. Concerning himself. Well, the text doesn't say. Luke doesn't tell us. But let me say this. Um, I think we can get clues of what Jesus taught them from how the... New Testament writers quote the Old Testament. I, I, I don't think they're making that up. I think they got it from Jesus and they've seen it themselves in the Bible, but that'd be one place to look. So I'll tell you what I did. I, I just pulled together, what is this, five or so texts that I think Jesus brought to them. So this is my shot at it from Moses, Genesis, Exodus. Leviticus. I believe he showed them from Genesis three that he is the promised seed of the woman, who would come in triumph over Satan. Remember the text that though the serpent would strike the heel of the the seed, the Christ, causing him to suffer. The Christ would crush the head of the serpent, triumphing over. Sin and death and the devil once and for all. So I think he went to Genesis 3:15. I also think he went to Genesis 22:18 and said, "I am the fulfillment of the spotless lamb caught in the thicket. Remember, Abraham was about to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Just remember, in Isaac, all the Seed all the descendants of all the people of Israel going forward. If Isaac's dead, the people of Israel are dead. I am the, the spotless lamb that, that, that Abraham found stuck in the thicket provided by God to die in the place of Isaac. The people of God. It's me. I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then in Exodus 12, he had to go to Exodus. He died on the Passover, right when the Passover lambs were slain. So in the temple, they're they're killing the Passover lamb, and on the cross, Jesus is dying. And he had to say, Look, I am the true Passover lamb. I die once and for all for the sins of all God's people forever and ever and ever, not a puny little lamb once a year. My blood is the blood of the new covenant, the new covenant, not the old covenant, not the Passover covenant from of old, a new one. I died once and for all. Never having to repeat that again. And he surely went to Isaiah 52 and 53. I mean, in Isaiah 52 and 53, you see the exalted Christ, you see the suffering, dying Christ, and you see the exalted Christ. Here, here it is. Isaiah fifty two thirteen. I believe he showed them that he is the Christ described here in Isaiah fifty two thirteen as high and lifted up and the one that shall be exalted. And then right in the next chapter, he showed them that this exaltation doesn't come without sufferings. As described in Isaiah 53, he, the Christ, the suffering servant, was despised and rejected by men. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. And then verse 6 of Isaiah 53 says... All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all like a sacrificial lamb. And all this was according to God's plan, Isaiah 53, 10 This is no accident. This is no opportunistic move by the Jewish religious leaders or by the Romans. It was the Lord's will to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. Jesus is saying, I am the guilt offering slain. And then he showed them right there from Isaiah 53 how the suffering servant, the Christ, rises from the dead. He's given life again. I thought he was dead. He's alive here. Verse 10. He shall see see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper his hand out of the anguish of his soul. He shall see and be satisfied. What's he being satisfied with? The effectiveness of his sacrifice his offspring, salvation. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. And lastly, I think he went to Daniel 7 or another text like it, in which the Christ is described as Given all authority and glory and sovereign power, and that all the nations and peoples of every language will come and worship Him, and that His reign and dominion quote will be an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and His kingdom one that will never be destroyed. And they arrived in Emmaus about that time, <laughs> and Jesus said, "See you later." <laughs> it's this. He acted as if He were going further. Wait, Jesus. Wait, wait, you, stranger. <laughs> and they insisted, urging him to stay with us for it's toward evening and the day is now far spent. Verse 29. <laughs> I love the dynamics in this account. So now it's the end of the day. The two, di- d- two disciples sit down with Jesus at the table to eat. And it's then that they're given sight to see that this was Jesus all along that they've been talking with. Verse 30. He took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. (laughs) They're sitting there going. And then this... Memorable sentence they speak to each other, verse 32. Did not our hearts burn within us? While he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures, he's alive. It's him. He's risen. (laughs) They stood up that very hour, it says, and they turned around and they headed right back to Jerusalem. Uh, to tell the 11 disciples and the others, and they found them, and upon their arrival uh, to, with the other disciples, the, the disciples said to them, look, the Lord has risen indeed. He has appeared to Simon. In other words, Peter, Peter saw him, and then these, these two from Emmaus come in, and they say, well, here's what happened to us on the road to Emmaus, and, and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. So it's like, Peter, you saw him, we saw him too. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and, and just right there, it's Easter, right? It's Easter. And I'm pretty sure that in one way or another, we started this day in some measure slow of heart to believe. despairing maybe, confused, running our own way, ensnared, hopes dashed. And I pray that by this scripture that the Lord will cause your heart to birth with the truth of the word and the promise of the gospel the hope of Easter. That's what I hope. Did not our hearts burn within us while he opened to us the scriptures? Christ, Christ was crucified and is risen. That means we are forgiven. It really happened. His, his death was effective. God raised him from the dead. It really Christ is risen and reigning, reigning over all things. And we give him our allegiance and our trust. We bow before him as Lord and we we give him our loyalty and, and yield to his will in our lives. He is risen and he is Lord. Christ is risen and in triumph over sin and over death and over Satan. And you know what that means? It means that by faith in Him as His people, we too will rise in triumph over sin and over death and over Satan. And He will gather us to Himself. Ours is the hope of the resurrected Christ who died for us. I just just want to say it again. I I feel like I have a new appreciation for the difficulty in believing Jesus the Christ, crucified, killed, humiliated, suffered, died for us. Now raised from the dead, exalted to the right hand of God the Father, forever and ever, It's true. The the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, all that confusion, gone. It's true. Christ is risen. Our hope is in him. Our joy is in him. Our hearts are burning. Father, may may it be so with each one of us. Exchange our slow of heart to believe condition for a condition of the heart that's aflame with your word and your truth and your hope. So come, work in us, I pray. Jesus Christ is risen. It's true. We bank on it and we rejoice. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at bethlehem.church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading the passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples,